was Mark. If you were here last week, you'll know that I was not here last week, and I am awfully glad to be back home. So it's good to see you today. Before I begin the message this morning, I want to make a very important announcement that uh, I really hope that each of you will hear and take part in. This week, you will receive an email from the church, those of you who get emails, and uh, you will be invited to participate on behalf of, well, your voice and in conjunction with all of the work that our task force is doing, uh, you'll be invited to participate in a survey. It doesn't take long. I did it yesterday uh, as part of the trial stuff to make sure it's working okay. It took me about five minutes or so. Uh, it's very succinctly worded. It's, it flows well, and it'll be worth your investment of five minutes or even if it takes you three times that long, 15 minutes, uh, because we as a church and the leadership of the task force desperately want and need to hear from you about who we are as a church and how we're doing as a church and where we think we need to be going as a church, okay? So please watch for the email first. It'll be sent out from the office sometime this week. Um, also, you should have already gotten the newsletter for the month of March, and there uh, either is a link there or it'll point you to that. Uh, I've been out all week, so I'm not sure exactly what that said. But here's the other part of it. If you don't do electronics, if you don't check your email or if you forgot your password to your email, uh, we will also have hard copy versions of that that we will send out, Okay. And uh, so if you don't get one of those, uh, we're not going to send it to everybody. We just have a list of those people who typically need us to send a hard copy. So if you can't get into your electronic version, if you'll just contact the church office, we will make sure that you have the opportunity to weigh in on this, okay? So that's a message from the task force, and I would strongly encourage you to invest a little bit of time so that you can help us come to really good decisions as we go forward, all right? And with that in mind, I'll also just add to it that the survey is in preparation for a town hall meeting that we will have the last Sunday of this month, and we will have no 9 o'clock service that, are you listening with both ears? We'll have no 9 o'clock service on the 31st of March. We'll have regular scheduled Sunday school. We'll have regularly scheduled second worship service. We'll have lunch here at the church. And then we will have town hall meeting after that. So you can just come one time, be here all day, nothing in the evenings, all right? The lunch will be fish heads and rice. It'll be better than fish heads and rice, I can assure you of that, all right? So I hope that you'll make it a point to be here. All right, take your Bibles and go with me to Matthew chapter 7. Might be easier to turn to chapter 8. We're going to be in the last part of chapter 7. But then we'll also visit to this today. I'm... I'm reminded of a number of things. I, you know, as, as you probably have heard, uh, I'm enjoying hiking the mountains out here and uh, getting to see how our area is put together on the God side of the construction process. And it, it, it's markedly different, obviously, here than it is in East Texas. Not long after I left East Texas, actually just a couple of weeks, after we moved from there to El Paso, Hurricane Harvey blew in. 
And it blew in bringing enormous amounts of rain. As a matter of fact, the, the community that I lived in received an annual rainfall plus in just three days' time. 52 inches fell on Lumberton, Texas. And several of the families that were members of the church where I was, and especially one that I'm thinking about, who lived down close to one of the main tributaries that took water from the countryside and dumped it into the Gulf of Mexico eventually, uh, it, this family had a house that was down close to one of those creeks. And it was a small creek. I mean, it was one of those that you probably could jump across, but it fed into another one that was, would have required a boat. And uh, that dumped into a bay, and that dumped into the Gulf of Mexico. But this house was situated next to one of these really small creeks. And uh, Teresa had a discussion with the lady who she and her husband owned that house and lived there about three or four days after that rainstorm, that hurricane went through there. And she began to tell Teresa how their house was totally underwater And then later, by the time they could get back to their house, it was essentially gone. Many people who lived down close to those creeks in that very wet part of Texas lost their homes totally. The water just wiped them off of the foundations. I like to contrast that with God's country out here. And I've been watching as some of the area where we sort of hike or at least kind of frequent back and forth to that general area. I've been watching as some new subdivisions are going in. And and for the first time in my life, I live somewhere where it takes significant groundwork in order to put in a home because you have to deal with all of the rock. I guess they blast it out. I don't really know how they do that. I'm glad that's not my job. I know that because I've watched some of those guys. It looks like nothing but hard, hard I would suggest to you that those two poles, those two truths, might have been what Jesus had in mind when he comes to tell this particular parable. It's in Matthew chapter 7, and it comes at the end of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And we read this beginning in chapter 7, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell... And the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. This tends to be one of those often overlooked parables that Jesus told. It's very short. It really just has two main characters in it. But it teaches us this basic truth. I, I heard this truth set, stated a different way by one of my mentors one time. He said it this way to us. Be careful what kind of house you build because you're going to live in the house that you built. Be careful what kind of life you build because you must occupy that life. Jesus reminds us here, and because we're also celebrating Lord's Supper together this morning, it takes me to that point of reference and and that statement. We'll look at it in just a few moments over in 1 Corinthians as Paul recounts Jesus' words at that last supper, as we call it. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. 
let's talk about the word remember for a few moments. Maybe it'll help us kind of get on the same point this morning as we come to celebrate and observe the Lord's Supper together. Remember is one of those words that really can mean two different things. It really means one thing, but with two different applications. The first one is, remember, it's an informational kind of word. Remember, as in, don't forget. Do you trust your memory? Let me, let me rephrase that. Does your wife trust your memory? Don't answer that out loud. One of my new favorite commercials, and I really tend to not really like commercials, but one of my new favorite commercials is a guy who's is, it's selling a car, I think. Um, but this guy is going all over town, and he's getting all these, he's running all these errands and stuff, and he gets back, and he tells his, t- says to his wife, I got everything you asked. And she said, where's my mother? He turns around, and he gets back in the car. Do you trust your memories? The reality, I think, for us is that we have a tendency to forget sometimes. I, I spent... Uh, well, last Sunday I was at a church in Benbrook outside of Fort Worth doing a conference for them, and uh, I spent the rest of the week, Monday, uh, Sunday evening, all the way through Thursday morning, Friday morning, very early actually, and uh, I was working at my parents' house, trying to get ready to sell and taking care of some of mom's stuff, and um, every morning I woke up and I made a list. I made a list actually on Sunday afternoon when I arrived there of all the things that I had to get done that week, and it was sufficient enough a list that I was immediately worn out just by doing the list. And then every morning I would wake up and I would take that master list and I would reduce it down to the tasks that I'm probably 12 or 13 tasks a day that I had to get done that day. And I did that because I know myself well enough to know that if I didn't have a list to work from, if I had got them all done at all, which probably I wouldn't have, I would have been so haphazard in doing them that it would not have been an efficient use of the time that I have. I make lists because I don't trust my memory much of the time. So there is that one part of do this in remembrance of me, the remember part of that we know that there's an informational thing. I'll come back to that in a moment. But there's another point of reference that we have when it comes to remember, and that is that is to remember in such a way that it has an impact on your behavior. Now, I drove out to East Texas, and then I drove down to Huntsville, and then I drove up to Waco, and then Friday afternoon when we finished at Waco, then I drove all the way home Friday night, got here in the middle of the night. And, and along the way... I saw the sun go down. Nowhere in Texas do we have sunsets like we have them in El Paso. I can just tell you that. But what happened after that was I began to notice every once in a while that there were these guys who were out on the highway and they were stopping people to tell them how great they were doing at their driving. Now, you're thinking I got stopped, and I did not, just so you know. That doesn't mean I won't tomorrow, but I did not. But here's, I'm, I'm talking about remember, all right? And so every time I saw that, I probably saw 20 different people stopped in that stretch from Waco to Odessa, hit the interstate, and then came on in, 20 different people. And every time I saw those flashing red and blue lights ahead of me, immediately my mind said, what's the speed limit? How fast are you going? You see, sometimes, and typically, now we have some of these fine folks 
who populate our church on Sundays, and so I want them to know that typically I find out what the speed limit is. I set my cruise control at that number, more or less. And then I don't worry about the speed limit, all right? But the problem with that approach is if you don't remember what the posted speed limit is and you see flashing red and blue lights, especially behind you, then there's a moment of panic that sets in because I don't remember what the standard is. So some memory for us is just information. For instance, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. How many times in your adult life have you needed that piece of information? It's great teaching. Whoever came up with that is great teaching because we all remember that. It just doesn't seem to fit into everyday life. But knowing the speed limit does. And so we need to remember for information purposes sometimes, but sometimes our remembering needs to impact our behavior. What is the standard to which we are supposed to be living? So with that in mind, let's jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 11 because in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we have this account where Paul is dealing with a very sick church. The Corinthian churches, actually, house churches and small groups that were there, uh, they had all kinds of problems. To read through and study through the book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians uh, is, is a study in a sick church and how a minister speaks into that church. When it came to what we would call the Lord's Supper, what they called their love feasts, they had trouble and so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, Paul says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. In remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul twice says, and he quotes Jesus in saying, Do this in remembrance of me. But why did Jesus say it that way? Why did he institute this, uh, this practice that we're in? We even call it an ordinance. It's one of those things that Jesus told us to do as a church. But he said, do it in remembrance of me. Did he do it just for the information side? Or did he do it for the life impact side? Or did he do it for both, maybe? Or is there a third reason out there somewhere, maybe? I think one of the applications for us here is that Jesus, and then Paul adds it in, tells us to do this in remembrance of him is because we're prone to forget. We are prone to forget as we go about living our life out that Jesus has something to say about life. We're prone to forget that Jesus is Lord. We're prone to forget in the day-to-day push and pull of our lives that Jesus has some kind of input into the way we should be living our lives. And so there is that remember part, the, the information part that this world is bigger than I am and bigger than you are and bigger than we are together and our calling in life is bigger than that. We're prone to forget that when we get busy with living. And so I think part of it is just that information here. 
But I think maybe Paul leans into, and I suspect Jesus did also, into that behavior modification kind of memory. Because if Jesus, now hear me carefully, if Jesus really is who he said he was, and he is, and if Jesus really did die to be Savior for us, and he did, and if Jesus really, because of that death and the resurrection, if he really is Lord, and he is, then that has to impact our behavior. It has to. Because that, you remember, I've said this many times, the the essence of sin, the essential part of my sinful nature is that I want to push Jesus off of the throne and I want to be God. So do you. And so we need to remember, and the Lord's Supper as we come to that, is that, that living kind of trigger for us that we must remember who he is and what he's done what he teaches us. That's where the parable comes in for for today. So go back with me for just a few moments. It's a very simple parable, and actually we already are almost finished with this little message. But in this parable, notice what Jesus says. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, that person will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like that one who built his house on the sand. One of the common denominators for both of those men and both of those houses is that storms came. We don't get a choice about whether we have storms in life. You you can't build a house that will insulate from the reality of storms. The question is, will you build a house, build a life that can stand up through the storms? Jesus tells this little parable at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Tonight we'll unpack this a little bit more in our Bible study. But Jesus uses this as a conclusion to the entire Sermon on the Mount. That one sermon that we have of his that I believe captures the essence of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ living the way he called us to live. And so at the end of that, he says, if you'll listen. And later he says, if you'll remember, it'll change your life. There is an old story. I'll I'll close with my own parable today. Actually, I borrowed this from somebody else. That's called research. But this parable goes this way. There was a guy who suddenly came into an incredible amount of money. Matter of fact, he was rich beyond his wildest dreams all of a sudden. And so he took that money and he did a number of different things. But one of the things that he wanted to do was build a new house. And he had a friend who was a contractor. And so he called a lunch meeting with his contractor friend and they pulled in an architect and and this, uh, this guy talked to the architect enough to say, oh, here's, here's what I want it to look like. And then he turned to his friend who was a contractor and he said, I want you to build this house for me and I want you to spare no expense. I want the finest quality of materials and the finest quality of workmanship that money can buy. Money is no object in this. And the guy said, that's an expensive house. He said, Money's not a problem. I want the best of everything. 
And so they began work on it. The architect drew up the plans. The contractor began doing the work to build that house. And every once in a while, the owner would come back and he would say, okay, so how's it going? And he would kind of do a walkthrough. And then time came for the owner, the guy who was having it built. He had to go on an out-of-town trip for a, ways, uh, for a while. And he said to the, uh, to the uh, contractor, he said, I, here, here's the money that you need, the draws that you need. You make it the best that money can buy. Spare no expense, but take no shortcuts. And when I get back, I expect that it probably will be done. And so after he left, the contractor, somewhere in the midst of all of that, saw this pile of money, and he saw this building, and he said, you know, we probably could do with a little cheaper grade here. It'll be hidden away behind other stuff. And we could, we could probably cut some corners on this part of it over here. And so he started doing that, and he started pocketing the money from what he had quoted to what he was actually spending and the quality of the house went down. And he did that until he finished the house. And on the day that he finished the house and he called the owner, he said, hey, I'm finished with it. Whenever you get back, let me know. He said, good, I'll be back next week. He said, we'll come and we'll tour the house together and you can show me what you've built for me. And so he comes back and that day comes and they're walking through the house and as the owner gets to the end of the process, he takes the keys and he throws them to the contractor and he said, actually, I had this house built for you. I wanted you to have the house that was no expenses spared. I wanted you to have the best house that you could possibly have. And so I have allowed you to build your house without knowing it. Hear me very carefully. You're building your house. Every day when you get up and you decide how you're going to be that day and who you're going to be that day, you are building your house. The wise person, Jesus says, hears my words. And he applies them into his life. He remembers who I am, what I taught. He remembers that there comes a day, that judgment day, when each of us will give an account of the life that we've built. Let me ask you to pray with me for a few moments as we transition into time for the Lord's Supper. I suspect that you're enough like me that there have been pieces of your life this week where you have forgotten that Jesus was, in fact, Lord. It's possible that you have lived your life in such a way this week that whether you intended to or not, there has been that forgetful moment when you nudged him off of the throne of your life and you took over. This Lord's Supper is a great time for us to remember not just the sacrifice, not just the informational part of what Jesus did, but that life-changing, life-transforming reality where Jesus is Lord. And so as we go into this time, I'm going to invite you during the quiet of it, even though we'll have music and we'll have singing, uh, I'm going to invite you to just get alone with God right there where you are and remember, remember your life, remember his life, remember his teaching, remember the great privilege we have to be called the children of God. And let this time be a, a memory invoking experience 
that takes you into the week ahead. And so, Father, use this time to be glorified, and it is our prayer in Jesus' name. ask you to bow your heads again. I want you to think with me before we eat this little wafer, this little cracker. I want you to think about what it would take for you to be willing to put yourself in the position that Jesus was in. At the arrest, at the scourging. Who would you take licks for? Who would you die for? Probably most of us think that there's at least one person that we would do that for, but here's, here's the, the incredible nature of that sacrifice. Jesus didn't just do it for the people that we might do it for. He did it for everybody. He did it for you. Paul says, that when Jesus had given thanks, he broke the bread and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so, Jesus, we remember as best we can, we try to understand the depth of your love for us, for me. And We cannot come to this moment without looking backwards and seeing, acknowledging, and confessing that way too often we forget and we try to be God. And for that, we are sorry. We ask you to remind us in a fresh way today your great love for us, your great sacrifice for us, and the great future that you provide for us through your sacrificial death and the forgiveness of sins. And it's in your name we pray. say in that same passage in the same way also Jesus took the cup after supper saying this is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me bow your heads with me please Lord Jesus in an age where we are extremely careful to avoid making contact with another's blood we, your needy people, come thanking you for the sufficient supply of that life-cleansing blood that you shed for us. Your word reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And we know that with your shed blood, forgiveness is available. And so we remember and we thank you in Jesus' name.